Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, where we are set to continue our reflections into the book of Genesis. We have been at this now, as you know, if you are a faithful listener, for quite some time, a good four or five, if not six months. I've been meaning to go back and to count the actual number of episodes, number of podcasts that we have completed up to this point. It's somewhere in the 50s. And yeah, we are in chapter uh, 31. That is, we, we are going to start chapter 31 with kind of a look back into chapter 30. This evening's reflection is not only going to allow us to talk about the relationship between the human and divine, more specifically how we think about the divine interacting with the human. There certainly is something going on in Genesis chapter 30 and 31 that will have us talking about that subject matter. But as promised uh, yesterday, I want to go back into chapter 30 and speak to verse 33, uh, this language of honesty and truthfulness. This is going to be a very important part of our discussion this evening as it will allow us to talk about the virtue of truthfulness. And as I was going back into the virtue of truthfulness, I found myself reflecting upon the, the person of Romano Gardini. So this evening is going to be twofold. First, we are going to talk about Genesis chapter 31 in the light of Genesis chapter 30 and what, and what that has for us in relationship with what is human and divine. And then we are going to talk about, out from verse 33, the virtue of truthfulness and who this figure of Romano Gardini is and why would I be talking about him as it relates to truthfulness in a study on the book of Genesis. So anyhow, with that, if you have your Bibles out, if you can turn to Genesis chapter 31. Now, before we open up with those verses, let me remind you, my friends, that yesterday, what was it, verses 25 to 43, we talked about how there was this game of wits, this battle of wits between Jacob and Laban, right, where ultimately in the end, Jacob outsmarted Laman by gaining the upper hand. What was the significance of that? Well, I briefly touched upon it, but, but I read those verses yesterday so that we might have a more developed discussion this evening, especially in light of Genesis chapter 31, verses 1 to 16, because in these verses, essentially what you have is, if yesterday was about the human element of this game of wits between Jacob and Laban, this story is essentially being retold to highlight the divine element of what was going on between Jacob and Laban. So here you go. This is Genesis chapter 31, verses 1 to 16. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, okay, here's the divine element, right? Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, 
I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. In the mating season of the flock I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the he-goats which leaped upon the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that leap upon the flocks are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go forth from this land, and return to the land of your birth. Then Rachel and Leah answered him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has been using up the money given for us. All the property which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. And we'll go ahead and read these last few verses. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he drove away all his cattle. All his livestock which he had gained, the cattle in his possession which he had acquired in Paddan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob outwitted Laban the Aramean, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had, and arose and crossed the Euphrates, and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. So again, <laughs> building on the preceding narrative, in these set of verses, my friends, the story is retold to stress the divine element, stating that in the end, God is ultimately responsible for Jacob's protection and prosperity during his years in Padan Aram. My dear friends, if all you had was chapter 30, verses 25 to 43, you would look at those series of verses and, and think to yourself, gosh, yeah, I know God is on Jacob's side, but this whole game of wits, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense until you see that this is what was necessary for Jacob to gain the upper hand to do what he needed to do. And I want to emphasize this point because it wasn't as if Jacob was being untruthful. It wasn't as if he was being dishonest, right? What did he say in verse 33? So my honesty will answer for me later. My honesty, my truthfulness is what is always at my side. You see, God uses everything that is human. And he says, give it to me. And if you give it to me, I will transform it into, into something true, good, and beautiful. Yes. But as I do understand that as you offer to me, I will see to it ultimately that you will receive my blessing. And this is so important for us, my friends, because there are so many things that happen to us in our everyday life that from a distance, 
seem almost trivial. But if you're inside of it, you're thinking to yourself, no, but this is what I have to do. This is what is necessary. From a distance, you look at the story between Jacob and Laban, and you're saying to yourself, gosh, what is this all about? <laughs> I mean, come on. What are these ancient herdsmen doing? But from the inside of it, Jacob is, is busy in getting the upper hand. And God says, yeah, do what is necessary. Do what is necessary that you attain the blessing that is promised to you. There are a lot of things in our lives that from a distance just don't make sense. Maybe, maybe we're, we're even on the inside of something and we're saying, gosh, I have no idea why I'm doing this. But this is why we do take a step back. And whether it be on the inside, close proximity, or from a great distance, if we value what we are doing as that which is necessary to ultimately attain what we desire to attain according to God's will, what has been put on our heart, then yeah, follow through on it. And here I might be thinking of something as so simple as uh, filling out financial aid papers. <laughs> I always used to just think to myself, going through college, all the way through college and, and postgraduate work, why do I have to fill out all of this paperwork? Does the government really need to know all this information? This is insanity, right? Why do I have to do all of this? But I, I then had to ask myself the question, well... <laughs> Why do I have to do all of this? Because it is what is necessary for me to do what I need to do if I'm going to do God's will. If I'm going to receive that blessing that awaits me. And there's a thousand other examples we can give. Jacob and Laban is a pretty extraordinary example, but an example nonetheless. We have to value what is before us and understand that God is in the detail even if it means sometimes doing something so unconventional like we might observe between Jacob and Laban. A huge point here, because certainly Moses, as the author of the book of Genesis, wants us to understand that, yeah, while there is a human element to this game of wits, and Jacob gains the upper hand because he, he outclevers him, if you will, this was also something that belonged to, to the divine. And that's the essence of it. What is human, if we are doing what we should do, belongs to the divine. Okay, so chapter 31, verses 1 to 16, and really I read verses 1 to 21, is a reminder that even in the least expected moment of finding God, well, <laughs> we will find God. And it's a lesson we can apply to so many different aspects of our life each and every day. Okay, how about this verse 33? So my honesty will answer for me later. I, I want to stay with that verse because, again, it speaks to that virtue of truthfulness. Now, you've heard me talk about this virtue of truthfulness before, and if you remember, I probably quoted Romano Gardini somewhere along the way, and I, I gave a nod to the significance of Romano Gardini. And I found myself this time around spending a little more time with Romano Gardini. And maybe at this point you're asking the question, Joe, Dr. Holcraft, why in the world are you talking about Romano Gardini? Well, we need to be reminded of the significance of this man and the impact he had upon and continues to have upon the church as he directly 
was associated and connected with the last three popes. Of course, that includes Pope Francis. Maybe you recall the words that uh, Benedict XVI shared with us as he prepared to step down from his pontificate when he said, The church is not an institution devised and built at table, but a living reality. The church lives along the course of time by transforming herself like any living being. Yet her nature remains the same. At her heart is Christ. Those were very important words to Benedict XVI. And the thing of it is, those were not the words of Benedict XVI, but rather those of his intellectual mentor, Romano Gardini, this towering German theologian that came to us at the end of the 19th century. And certainly we might recognize him for his work in the early to mid 20th century as he became quite relevant in the 20s, 30s, and 40s for his work. Much of Benedict's writings has been, at least implicitly, as many have noted, really a long meditation on the work of Gardini. Remember, in his own words, Benedict XVI said, My papacy is but an echo chamber of Romano Gardini. So yeah, it is right to say, even if it is implicit, that his whole pontificate is but a long meditation on the work of Gardini. Certainly, uh, in some cases, it is not implicit, but explicit. Uh, consider Benedict's The Spirit of the Liturgy. Well, that <laughs> work is almost all but a volume two to Gardini's own 1918 work titled, well, The Spirit of the Liturgy. Now, what's really interesting about that book is that that original work inspired a dialogue between Romano Gardini and uh, the well-known philosopher Max Scheler, who, oh, by the way, Carol Wojtyla, John Paul II, would make the subject of his doctoral dissertation under Gary Lagrange. What's more, <laughs> as a student in Munich during the 1980s, one Jorge Mario Bergoglio, Pope Francis, right, considered writing his dissertation on Gardini himself. If you were to track some of Pope Francis's documents, certainly in Laudatio Si, you see a great deal of Romano Gardini in that document. What are we after here? Well, not only did Romano Gardini influence the documents of Vatican II, and consequently the Catechism of the Catholic Church, he greatly influenced Benedict XVI, John Paul II, and continues to influence, of course, Pope Francis. So my friends, if you were to ask me, who is the most important theologian of the 20th century? Yeah, there are many out there, but you can make a strong case that Romano Gardini, if he's not the most important, he certainly is the most influential. And if he's the most influential, then he, he just might as well be the most important. Now, why am I talking about all this? Because there is a virtue that is at the heart and center of his work. I mean, there are many virtues, there are many topics, but I would argue one among the many is the virtue of truthfulness in his work, learning the virtues that lead you to God. He goes through a series of practical virtues that lead you to God, and he lays them out sequentially. And what is the first virtue of all of the important virtues? Well, the virtue of truthfulness. The virtue of truthfulness. This is Romano Gardini. 
a virtue which has suffered great damage in our day is the virtue of truthfulness, which, taken in its wider interpretation, includes also the love of truth and the will that truth should be recognized and accepted. So Romano Gardini establishes that first truthfulness means that the speaker should say what is so, right, as he sees it and, and, and as he understands it, and that he should express what is in his mind. He should not try to misshape or manipulate what is in his mind. Now, for Romano Gardini, under certain circumstances, yeah, this may be difficult and may even cause annoyance, harm, and danger. But our conscience, Romano Gardini says, reminds us that truth is an obligation, an obligation that it is something absolute, but also sublime. Why? Because what is absolute is sublime. huh? So truth is, is not something of which we may say, you may tell it if it is convenient for you to serve some purpose, but no, when you speak it, you must tell it as it is, not abbreviating it or changing it. You must tell it absolutely. You must tell it simply. Unless, of course, the situation urges you to be silent or you can evade a question in a decent and proper way. This all abides under the, the umbrella of truthfulness. Romano Gardini goes on to say, and I think this is so important, apart from all of this, our whole existence depends upon truth itself. Truth itself, that the relations of, of the people to each other, social institutions, and oh, by the way, my friends, government, <laughs> all that we call civilization and man's work in its countless forms, demands our respect for this great virtue of truth, identifying a thing for what it is. So, Romano Gardini defines truthfulness as this. Truthfulness means that man has the instinctive feeling that the truth must be told absolutely. Of course, we must emphasize this point again. This obligation is based upon the assumption that the questioner has the right to be informed. If he does not, then it becomes the task of experience and prudence to find the proper way of avoiding an answer. You know, when Pope Francis was talking about the sin of journalism, of intentionally misinforming the people, I wonder if he was thinking about Romano Gardini and the way in which Romano Gardini says, the questioner has the right to be informed. We are all seeking understanding upon what is going on around us in the world. We have the right to be informed, not to be told lies by all the drive-by media, that drive-by media which is driven by the political agenda to elevate one particular politician or to disparage another politician. That is not what journalism is about. Journalism is always and everywhere about our right to be informed on the reality for what it is, on the virtue of truthfulness. There is a great responsibility that every journalist has, and that is to report the truth, not what they think the truth to be, but the truth itself. And as such, Romano Gardini reminds us in this beautiful work, and I recommend this book to everyone out there, truthfulness means that one tells the truth.
Not only once, but again and again. And, and why does he say that? Because he wants us to understand that the virtue of truthfulness, if it is said again and again, then becomes what but a habit. Truthfulness brings to the whole man, his being and his action, something that is clear and firm. This is the beauty that resides in man. Remember that the word clarity comes from the Latin claritas, which speaks to that which is beautiful. So when we speak clear about things, when we are firm in what we have come to know and speak to it with an inspired force, I think that is something beautiful. What's more, Romano Gardini makes the point, one should not only speak the truth, but more importantly, do the truth, right? Why would he say this? Because one can lie through actions. One can lie through attitudes. One can lie through gestures. There is a language to the body. In point of fact, as it has been said, up to 90% of all language is communicated with the body. Just as we can speak truth in our actions, attitudes, and gestures, so also we can speak lies. And no one fools God. No one fools God. Every time we lie in both word and action, God says to us what he said to Adam. Where are you? <laughs> are you hiding from me? What are you doing? Be who you are. Be who you are. Now, all of that being said, and just by way of postscript to this reflection on truthfulness with Romano Gardini, Truth is not spoken into a vacuum, but to another person. So truth always demands from it gentleness, kindness. St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, in a very, very important verse, says what? But to speak, to do, to be truth in love. In other words, St. Paul is saying, in order that truth may come to life, Love must accompany it. Hmm, I wonder. Was again Pope Francis influenced by Romano Gardini in his apostolic exhortation on the new evangelization, Joy of the Gospel, when he was reflecting into personal accompaniment? When he was challenging each and every Christian to understand that you can just speak truth, but if love does not accompany truth, it will not build the bridge by which truth itself shall pass. This is why in 1 Peter 3.15, Peter challenges us, yes, to give reasons for the hope that is inside of us, but also to do so in gentleness and reverence because he understood well what St. Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, that love must accompany truth. And when love accompanies truth, over time, truth will be received. In the end, my friends, truthfulness is absolutely foundational to the whole of the person because it is in recognizing who we are for exactly that, nothing more, who we are as created in the image and likeness of God, that the process of becoming more whole in Christ can take place. This is why, as I noted before, Pope John Paul II once said that an excuse is worse than a lie because it is a lie guarded. You see, the more we excuse the lie, the greater the task becomes to protect the false self. And if there is an accompanying virtue to, to the virtue of truthfulness as we speak to it now, it's certainly the virtue of humility, right? 
Why? Because the humble person does not judge himself to be smaller or larger than he actually is. The humble person is not troubled by self-interest. The humble person is not troubled by reputation. The humble person isn't, even isn't troubled by failure. So we avoid the false self by being humble and honest with ourselves. Jacob says, what in verse 33? So my honesty will answer for me later because he knows truthfulness is absolute. That the virtue of honesty withstands the test of time. Why? Because it is an attribute that properly belongs to God. If he identifies a thing for what it is, he can do no wrong. My dear friends, maybe for some of us, we struggle with honesty. We wish to put up this false self. Ask yourself the question, why do you struggle with honesty? It probably has a whole lot more to do with your own insecurity. I, I have to look in the mirror each and every day and accept myself for who I am. Strengths, but yes, also all of my weaknesses. And as I do, I have to come to grips with those weaknesses because if I don't, then I, I will put up this false self and I will begin to lie. A lie that I think will protect myself from judgment. Not realizing that in the end, truth itself has already judged me and truth itself is the only thing that can set me free, not the lie. We have to be mindful of that ancient commandment to not bear false witness to our neighbor because the one who really suffers in that false witness is you, the I, right? And remember what John says about <laughs> Satan. He is the father of all lies. So, so let's not give him room. Let's be humble in recognizing who we are. Let us not be caught up in protecting the false self. Everyone has weaknesses. Let us be rooted in a very real relationship with Jesus Christ, realizing that when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, yeah, he is the one who can set us free, and mindful that he is truth incarnate, and he calls us unto him, that as he calls us unto him in an intimate relationship, he does so because he loves us. And only he, that is Jesus Christ, can love us as we desire to be loved. Amen? Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.